For the past few years, our colleague Aruna Vishwanatha has been reporting on a man named Gua Wingwe. So, you know, as a reporter, you get all these crazy tips and almost every single one of them, by the time you report it out and confirm what actually happened, the story is like, you know, 25% of what you thought it was. And with Mr. Guo, this is literally the only story I've ever worked on that the crazy tips we got would end up 25% crazier in the final story. <laughs> it was just like everything about him was just so wild. Guo is a Chinese billionaire who spent the past eight years living in the U.S. He made a name for himself as a critic of the Chinese government. And he's built up a social media presence with hundreds of thousands of followers. Rabble Rouser is exactly what he is. He lobs really salacious allegations against all sorts of people, and you never quite know exactly where he's going next. Guo has been a major thorn in the Chinese government's side. And for years, they've been trying to get him back to China to face criminal prosecution for a number of alleged crimes. So he has been a bit of a singular figure in the U.S.-China relationship, especially as that relationship has deteriorated over the past few years. He has been like a huge focus for the Chinese government, and the U.S. has long resisted handing him back. And last week, the FBI arrested Gua and prosecutors charged him with orchestrating a billion-dollar fraud in the U.S. What they do with him in consultation with the Chinese government is is ultimately going to be a a very interesting question. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Wednesday, March 22nd. Coming up on the show... The Rise and Fall of Guo Wenghui. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Guo Wenghui has a rags-to-riches story. He grew up in a poor family in China, and then in the 1990s, he became a millionaire through Chinese real estate. He built iconic structures in Beijing, including one that looks like a dragon's head. But Chinese officials say there's more to his story than just a man who pulled himself up by his bootstraps. They say he built his wealth in part through bribery. In the mid-2010s, President Xi Jinping starts engaging in this widespread crackdown of corruption, and the allegation was that Mr. Guo had built his fortune in part by paying kickbacks to various people in the Chinese government, including one in particular, this former senior official in Chinese intelligence service. Guo has denied these allegations. He fled China in 2014 and came to the U.S. After he arrived, he was quiet for the first few years. And then 
Starting around 2017, he starts building up a Twitter profile. He starts doing these, streaming these online videos and giving these media interviews. And what he starts alleging is that he has real evidence of corruption at the highest levels of the Chinese Communist Party. And he is going to be unveiling that when the time comes. And what do these videos that he posts on social media look like? Like, what's the tone? So they're very conversational. I mean, some of them are sort of inviting you into his life, into his uh, very fancy apartment with his sort of fancy, fluffy white Pomeranian by his side. And he would stream what he was doing for hours, sort of talking about the Chinese government. That statement is very fitting for those departments. They are departments of evil doing. Just talk about his day, talk about his exercise routine. I just finished exercising, so I am so sweaty. Some of it was just so off the wall, but it was very entertaining. He's even made music videos including one where he asks his fans to follow him and take down the Chinese Communist Party, or the CCP. And he ends up cultivating a pretty sizable following, especially among the Chinese diaspora, who are really intrigued by what he's saying and start following him pretty regularly. Guo said he had a $150 million war chest, that he planned to use in his campaign against the Chinese Communist Party. And you've met him. I have. He is quite a character. He's very charismatic. He's very friendly and very well-dressed. He likes to live very lavishly. So his apartment is very beautifully furnished. He stays at the nicest hotels. He orders lots of great food. He, you know, he wants everyone to have a good time and he's always recording you. That's another thing to know about him. Really? He's always recording you? He's known to record a lot of his conversations and then broadcast them later. That's what I'm also known for. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't just Chinese people living outside China, the diaspora, who were interested in what Guo had to say. He was also getting a lot of attention from the U.S. government and the Trump administration, especially in the beginning when it was not quite clear what to make of him. He was clearly someone with a lot of access in China who is out now saying he was going to spill their secrets. And the U.S. government viewed him as potentially a really useful bargaining chip, as potentially a useful source. You know, they thought that here's someone that could be of real value to them. Was he like meeting with government officials? I mean, did officials, you kind of hinted at this, like in the Trump administration or, or any other administration, think like, oh, here's a guy who like has access. We, we should talk to him. We can get information from him and hopefully he can like help us. So he did start talking to FBI agents over the years and folks sort of at more senior levels became pretty intrigued by who he was. As Guo's profile rose, the Chinese government tried cracking down on him from afar. So after he starts going public with the allegations that he's saying that he has all this evidence of corruption, little things start to happen that raise his profile even more. For example, in 2017, a news outlet he gave an interview to said its websites were hit by cyber attacks. The Chinese government denied being involved. 
And then sort of the biggest point of tension, the Chinese government sends senior security officials to go talk to him and convince him to come back. And these people have come into the U.S. not on official business visas, and the FBI finds out about this. They tell him, you got to leave. You're not here on the types of visas that you would need to do anything like this. You got to get out of here right now. And they basically stop him at the jet bridge of their Air China flight. And there's this big standoff within the government. Can we arrest them? Do we need to let them go? The agents decided to let the Chinese officials go with the warning. Around the same time, the Chinese government also tried to get prominent U.S. businessmen to lobby the Trump administration to send Guo back. The effort allegedly included people like casino mogul Steve Wynn and former Fuji's rapper Pras Michelle. Afterward, the U.S. government sued Steve Wynn, saying he needed to register as a foreign agent. He denied wrongdoing, and a judge dismissed the case. It's now on appeal. The U.S. also charged Pras Michelle with illegal lobbying. He pleaded not guilty. His trial starts on Monday. Why does the Chinese government want Guo back so badly? That's a very good question. <laughs> that uh, the best we could tell was that they wanted him to stop, basically stirring up trouble within the Chinese diaspora, and within China, his content was totally censored, and you could find almost no reference to him within the Chinese internet. But within the Chinese diaspora, he was sort of causing a lot of trouble and he was a big headache for the Chinese government. So China has all these efforts to try to shut him up, essentially. What did that do to his reputation? It definitely bolstered it within sort of China hawks in the United States. And the most prominent example of this was former Trump advisor Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon was one of Donald Trump's top advisors during the 2016 election and served briefly as the president's chief strategist. Soon after Mr. Bannon leaves the White House, one of his first forays in his post-administration life is to go into business with Mr. Guo. What did they try to, to do together? So they announced in 2018 that they were going to be raising $100 million to spend investigating senior Communist Party officials and exposing their misdeeds is essentially what they said they would do. Hmm. And then they also sort of launched this, what they bill as this media company that's going to build a real media platform to get through the Chinese firewall and be sort of the first real bridge-building media network between China and the West. So build a news channel that that people in China could somehow see that was targeted at Chinese citizens? Some kind of website. Yeah, the idea was that they're building a media company that would somehow counter the Chinese Communist Party inside China and outside China. That sounds like an ambitious plan. Yes. How this ambitious plan worked out? That's next. Next. 
This episode is brought to you by Natrol. Natrol is America's number one drug-free sleep aid brand, helping you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Natrol melatonin gummies are made with clean ingredients, like 99% pure melatonin, to work with your sleep cycle, helping you sleep better, making the next day your best day. Natrol. Sleep tonight. Live tomorrow. Shop now at natrol.com. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent diseases. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. A lot of the money that Guo Wenguei and Steve Bannon raised for their media company came from Guo's followers. It's a lot of people in the Chinese diaspora, Chinese Americans, maybe sort of first-generation Chinese Americans here that found him captivating and, and knew him as a businessman. By 2020, Guo and Bannon had raised more than $300 million for their media venture. But pretty quickly, their investors started to question the business. We reported back in July 2020 that the FBI had started investigating this fundraising effort that he had done because we understood that investors started feeling pretty uncomfortable about this. They said they didn't get the appropriate documentation. They didn't quite understand what was happening. And some of his bank accounts that had been set up for this media company were frozen. And so they started to get worried. The investors demanded refunds. And Guo responded by rallying his still very large fan base against them and branding them as spies of the Chinese Communist Party. He would go on videos, like, in a pretty menacing way, carrying around a baseball bat, sort of talking about how, you know, he was going to go after these Chinese spies that were trying to bring him down. The investors denied they were spies. His reaction was similar to how he's gone after others he perceives as critics. He sued many people, including the Wall Street Journal's publisher and our colleague Aruna herself. The case against the journal publisher and Aruna were dismissed. In addition to Guo's media business with Bannon, he also raised money from investors for his own ventures, like a clothing line, his own cryptocurrency, and an elite G-Club membership that promised access to special investment opportunities. In total, Guo had raised around a billion dollars from investors. And then, last week, the FBI arrested Guo and charged him with 11 counts of fraud and money laundering. What prosecutors allege is that rather than actually try to put any of that money into what he said he was going to, he just immediately turned around and, you know, sent $30 million here to buy this home in New Jersey, you know, sent money there to upkeep his yacht, sent you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to car dealerships for custom-built race cars. And is it true there's a $36,000 mattress? <laughs> Two. Two? What? Where Do those even exist? I would like to know what a $35,000 mattress feels like. I, I don't actually know. I wait, yeah, I mean, like, what is it made out of? Like, gold feathers or something? <laughs> right. And how has Gua responded? 
he's uh, very much denied any wrongdoing and said that all of his efforts were geared towards countering the Chinese Communist Party and were valid efforts. Guo pleaded not guilty. His lawyer hasn't responded to requests for comment. Bannon, who received a pardon from President Trump on other matters, hasn't been charged with anything related to Guo. A lawyer for Bannon hasn't responded to requests for comment. So what could happen to Guo next? He faces pretty serious charges that come with uh, 20 years in prison, potentially. And a lot of his assets have been seized and the government is trying to get those forfeited and repay some of these investors that he took a lot of money from. Now, if Guo is convicted, the U.S. government will have to decide if it wants to send him back to China, as the Chinese government has always wanted, or keep him in the U.S. I mean, this is a really interesting question. The U.S. has no extradition treaty with China, um, but they have on occasion sent people back to China that the Chinese government has asked for, including ones who have been convicted and sentenced of crimes. The more interesting question is sort of what ultimately happens to him in the context of the U.S.-China relationship and if China does still ask for him back. Essentially, what they most wanted was for him to stop talking and riling up trouble within the Chinese diaspora community. He can't do that. You know, he has been effectively silenced anyway at this point. So what we are watching for is, will the Chinese government ask for him back? And then will the U.S. government be open to sending him back? That's all for today, Wednesday, March 22nd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting in this episode by Shah Hua and James Finelli. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.